You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield presents Fight in Progress. I'm back. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Are you sure? Well, I was worried that you wouldn't come back for a little while. It crossed my mind. I needed to take that four-week vacation like you took. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, whatever you say. We don't. Nobody on this podcast believes you. All right. Don't. Yeah, I know. But you had a week, so. I, I'm always right. Well, Have in you your not- mind, you are. <laughs> I, you know what? I was wrong in D.C. twice in one day. Actually, within a couple hours. Did lightning strike? Or I don't know what happened. Time zone change got me or something. But but Chris's dad is a witness and mom are a oh, witness wow. to this. And I claimed it. I haven't heard this, so. I claimed it. Hmm. I was wrong twice in one day within about an hour. And you just admitted it on recording. I did, too. but it's the only time I've ever been wrong in my life. <laughs> well, I don't know. There was probably another time I made bad decisions. but Bad th- decisions are different from being wrong. <laughs> they are. <laughs> anyway, it's nice to be back, and uh, I'm glad you and I'm sure you and Tracy had fun. Yeah, it was Mrs. Fun. Tom the bomb.com. Yeah, we, we did have fun. It was a different podcast be, just well, because of the, the nature subject of matter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, Police Week for all of you listening. If you have not been, this was my third, but of course, this was the one that hit closest to home. And uh, if you have not been, you need to go before you have to go. It, it is something you will never be more proud of being a part of the law enforcement population or family. Um, but boy, emotions are all over the place. <laughs> the candlelight vigil on Friday night, there were over 6,000 people with candles lit. Yeah, that from, was impressive. On the mall. Tracy and I watched that on oh, TV. You did? Yeah, we, we watched it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was quite moving. And 619 names went on the wall. That's Most amazing. ever, ever. And granted, that was COVID, but it doesn't matter. You're right. Uh, line of duty death is line of duty death. Exactly. The families had lost a loved one, and it was, it, you couldn't even describe the environment at all. But it was, um, I was honored to be up there and be a part of it, be with the Ferrars. And uh, we'll go back again next year with Jeremy Wilkins' family. Yep. And hopefully you and Tracy can go. That's the plan right yep. now. And uh, so like I said, I encourage all of you, go. And preferably before you have to, when you, it's not quite as much of an emotional roller coaster. It's one anyway, but if you can go when you don't know anybody going on the wall, it's very helpful. And, uh, and make sure you go to the wall at midnight during that week because the bagpipes play. Every night? Every night during wow. police week. Yes. And the law enforcement museum uh, was open. It was being built last time I was there. And it's quite impressive. And to go in and see Mike Neal's truck in the very beginning, mm-hmm. who was one of mine, um, I claim him. He's now a sheriff in Arkansas, but he was part of that shootout in the Walmart parking lot in West Memphis. Yep. However many years ago that was, I lose track of everything. Uh, but yeah. You need to go. So I'm, I'm excited about y'all going up with us next year. That'll be quite an experience. Yeah. I wouldn't describe it as a good time, but. <laughs> right. And I've just decided, apparently I've been looking like crap for 12 years. 
<laughs> you know, when you're in a crowds of a thousand and people all over the place and people recognize you yeah. and you hadn't seen them in 10, 12, 15 years ago. Maybe you just haven't aged. No, I no, I look like <laughs> crap. And apparently I've always looked like crap because they were, there was no question that they knew right off who I was. Somebody told me, oh, you just have this aura about you. And I thought, I don't know that that's a good thing yeah, either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, damn. Anyway, uh, Marshall, welcome to the program. Yes. And we're anxious to hear all about you and what all you are getting into with your partner that we had on here a few episodes back. Yeah, just a few episodes. Yes. So tell us about you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, so Siobhan, who you all know, she and I started Phoenix Resilience uh, in about February of this year. Um, so it's a, it's a brand new effort. And uh, what we're trying to do is um, have uh, more conversations around the topic of, of resilience and, um, you know, the concept of uh, destigmatizing mental health yeah. um, in the law enforcement and veteran circles and, um, you know, in, encouraging people to seek the help that they need. Sure. Um, uh, I worked in uh, suicide uh, prevention for the last three years and um, <clears throat> the rates of suicide amongst our uh, first responders and our veterans, it makes them really some of our most vulnerable populations. Absolutely. And yeah. um, so what we're trying to do is, is something proactive about that. Good. Um, that sounds like you're in the vein of under the shield. Also, that's right. one of the things that, that we are most concerned about and, and see in here quite regularly as non-mandated reporters. And uh, it's nice to know there's somebody else recognizing that this is an epidemic in both the populations of military and and first responders. And I think too many people have stuck their head in the sand for too many years. It is absolutely an epidemic. And, and I think what's super powerful about um, working with this population, with first responders specifically, is um, that that has has a, a trickle effect or a, a ripple, a ripple effect mm -hmm. across entire communities. Yes. Um, because if if I have an individual police officer who is struggling with acute depression, maybe even suicidal ideations, you know, what kind of bandwidth does that person have to deal with somebody else's trauma, somebody right. else's suicidal ideation? Right. So, you know, it, so I feel like that we can we can improve entire communities just by addressing the needs of the first responders in that community. Sure. Yeah. And you know, one of the things we're trying to get across at Under the Shield, and it's one of our frustrations in also working alongside the licensed mental health world is, is truly suicide in the first responder world is not about mental illness. It is about mental wellness and good people who are afraid to get help when they need it, even in the early phases of it. And, you know, y'all are the ones who are supposed to be solving everybody's problems. So it's hard to reach out for help. But if the help is trying to constantly classify you or or stigmatize you or put you into a category with labels. We're not big on labels at Under the Shield. Um, it makes them less likely to come forward and ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you add to that, you know, that that people's people's professions and and ability to pay their bills and support their families and well-being is all wrapped up in this. Right. So, you know, it's 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 not it's it's and, and that's on top of of, you know, um, 
the perception of self-reliance and and um you know being being tough being a superhero being bulletproof you know whatever you want to call it um that's kind of the mindset that that i feel like you have to be in to to survive in these industries Mm -hmm. and then and then to then like like have to admit that yeah i i i I am i do have weaknesses i am affected by these by these events and these traumas um it's a hard thing to ask people to do and i and i think that uh we need to fundamentally change um the way we see mental health Mm -hmm. and start uh for some reason we've 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 disconnected our mind from our body medically um (laughs) in in our in our society here and it's it, it doesn't really even make any kind of sense like like of course the food you eat would have an effect on the way your brain functions. Like, of course it would. Right. It's all connected. Where do you <laughs> think the, the the fuel for your brain comes from, right? And so I think we need to stop separating mental health and physical health and just start looking at the entire human being sure. as, as yeah. one one functioning, you know, organization of, of um, uh, what? I don't know. Pieces and parts. Sure. Sure. Well, it's just like your car. I always use the example, of course, it was probably more applicable back when it really did matter if you put high octane in a car that required it. If you put the regular in because you couldn't afford the high octane, the cars would kind of sputter a little bit and hesitate and stuff. And, you know, most people, shockingly, a lot of them in mental health don't even realize 90 percent of your serotonin, which is your happy drug, comes from your gut. So if people mm-hmm. can pay attention to what they're eating and acknowledge and even have the medical world acknowledge things like leaky gut syndrome and mm-hmm. adrenal fatigue and insufficiency that a lot of times the medical world wants to say, oh, that stuff's not real because you rely on natural things to heal that. And, of course, they're big on pharmaceuticals yeah. and stuff. But when we can take it away from that stigma of schizophrenia and those types of things and you got to be on antipsychotic medications or antidepressants and go back you know people live for many generations before Pfizer was invented (laughs) and so let's start with a natural approach to it and it's a lot less threatening absolutely and I think it's incredible how much of your of your body and your wellness you control through you know simply your diet and breathing like yes. those those two things alone and and i think the reason it doesn't get talked about more is is pretty simple that you can't monetize it right right so, right. True. so, so true. you know that, that that's what we're trying to talk about mm-hmm. now we're right there with you and like i said it's nice to have somebody else in the in the fight they're talking about the same stuff because we get such resistance from the mental health world and you know my argument has always been that People who go into law enforcement and first responders and military are kind of crazy to start off with, (laughs) but it doesn't mean you're mentally ill. (laughs) So you're kind of out of a box already. And the, and as a master's level counselor, I can say this, I was taught to put people in a box to diagnose them in that DSM, which was what made me go the complete opposite direction because you don't have to put everybody in that box. And it's time to start to identify and recognize that these are unusual people who do a very unusual job, thank God, and therefore maybe they need a little different type of a resource than what traditionally 
many other professions need. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that analysis completely. And, um, and I, I already said it before, but the better care we take of our first responders, the better care they're going to take of us. Yes. And without them, where would we be? Yeah, well, in, in, a, in a non-functioning society, bedlam and anarchy, I suppose. Sure. And, you know, one of the examples I've used is for many, many years is, you know, to be a sports psychologist, you don't just get a Ph.D. You specialize in kinesthesiology and all those other words that I can't pronounce. So if athletes need specialization, why wouldn't our tactical athletes, meaning our first responders in military, need specialized training? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're expecting these people to perform at the absolute height of their cognitive ability and physical ability, right? Under, under extraordinary levels of stress, yes. every, every single minute of every single exactly. shift, every, of every day, right? Extraordinary, un, 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 unprecedented, unparalleled. Uh, I don't, I don't think, I don't think most people who have, who aren't around the work perceive the level of stress that, 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 that exists just simply driving down the road, you know, just stopping <laughs> to get coffee, yes. just, just it, it, off shift, you know, in your, in your personal time, you run into someone that you hooked up on a, on a, on a warrant or, yes. you know, I, I mean, I personally had the lug nuts taken off of my, of my wheel, um, oh, on my car, my, my wheel came off my car driving to work. Oh, geez. So, when 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 the 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 level of stress that 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 our police officers are under day to day is it's it's not being talked about i don't think people realize right well and the frustration we have too is still hearing in academies and then i just heard recently of a mental health person who said it in a critical incident debriefing still teaching officers to keep personal and professional separate seriously that that is a you are creating. It's impossible to do. Yeah, it's creating a monster that doesn't need to be created. Yeah, and it's creating high divorce rates. We see it in here all the time, because officers are protecting their families, but having been married to one for twenty years, his mood came home whether he talked about what had happened that day or not. And then your mood comes in, and I think I've done something. The fight's going to be on. When all I need to know is you had a really bad day today. Yeah, that's um, the the whole concept of, of of leave your problems at the door when you come to work. People don't do that. <laughs> like it's 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 yeah. all well and good to say it out loud, exactly. But if it's not happening, it's not happening. So let's be real, right? Right. Yeah. Let's address the issue, yep. and then get to work. Yes. Right. But if 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 you're all tied up in in your your, your pending divorce and your financial issues and custody and like what's going to happen to the dog, yes. right? Again, where's where's my bandwidth to be a, a compassionate individual on the street? Not there. Right. And and the public forgets that they they have such high expectations that y'all are these machines. Right. Not human beings. No room for error. Right. Yeah. And split second yep. decisions that have to be made, whether it's life and death or it's just, you know, the public has has lost sight of they have some responsibility in, in their behaviors. Yeah, but nobody wants to accept responsibility. Well, Personal. No, no, we put it all back on exactly. law enforcement. It's yeah. your fault. Right. And families, we have found one of the big things for almost 30 years now that I've done 
is a training that includes spouses or significant others. Sad, I have to say, don't bring them both because mm. we've had that happen <laughs> and uh, didn't go well for anybody. Uh, mm. But they're the first line of defense. They're the ones who see the stuff starting to happen. Right. All those little changes at the very beginning. Yes, that you don't see. Right. You know, it's kind of like your kids. You're with them every day, and then the grandparents come in, hadn't seen them in months. Gosh, look how much he's grown. Has he really? <laughs> but the changes are there. Right. And then the families don't know who to call either because they understand call the wrong person and the job can be taken. Yeah, you call that your significant other supervisor and say the wrong thing. Yeah, not a good plan. Right. And so that has been something. That's one of our most requested classes is that one. Um, and it's it's important that we educate these people as the other half of the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's uh, one of our efforts is to put on um, wellness retreats mm -hmm. for spousal couples, police officers and their spouses um, in uh, in Panama. Yes. And, um, and it's, uh, we haven't, we haven't done, we've, we've, we've done some retreats up to this point. We haven't done one with police officers and their spouses yet, mm -hmm. but that's something that we're developing to address exactly that, to strengthen that relationship. And I feel like whenever you can bring context and information to a situation, you're, you're enlightening everybody's response, yeah. right. To that situation, everybody's making more cognitive decisions. And that's what we want to do is we want to get them out into that learning environment mm -hmm. where they're, where they're completely away from home, away from the stress, away from the kids, away from the email, away from the job, away from the expectations. And they can focus on, on, on what's wrong, what's right, what needs fixed, what, what needs repaired, sure. you know, and how do we build resilience going forward? Sure. And you're actually going to have them there together as a couple, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm asking that because I know there's another group doing this stuff, but they don't allow the spouse to come with the officer. They have two separate things running at different <laughs> times. I think that's kind of defeating the purpose. And I've never understood that concept. Interesting. I uh, I would have to learn more about yeah. it, but um, that's not the approach that we're taking. Good. Good because we've even I've even dealt with situations here where officers have come in to under the shield and they've been in therapy and they go and I, I'll always say your spouse is always welcome in here and they're like are you kidding me and I go why well because my last therapist wouldn't let my spouse come in with me what the hell what are you talking about and I'm going they live together people why would you not let them in to an office together yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know how you fix half of a hole. Exactly, because he can only give so much information, but she may be able to enlighten that counselor with the whole other side of, that she sees going on that he's got even no idea of. Well, and the truth is, usually, you know, everybody's perception is reality, right. and the truth and realness of it is somewhere in the middle. Right. It's like I've heard, you know, no matter how flat you make a pancake, it has two sides. <laughs> and and that's the case in every marital situation. And believe it or not, I know this will shock both of you, but people do lie in therapy sessions. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing how it's always the other one's fault, but you get them both in together and you start finally start to see the reality of the situation. Right. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, so when do y'all anticipate doing your first couples retreat? We're, we're looking at doing that in the spring of next year. 
So probably in April time frame. You know, Tom and I spend so much time together, <laughs> we might be able to be deemed as a couple, and, and his wife might be more than willing to let me bring him down there. <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd love to have you come check it out. You, you could do a podcast right from the beach. See? Oh, hey, now that now he's right. talking. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be something we have to look at eventually. <laughs> um, and I assume, how many people will you have working at that retreat to work with the couples? Uh, we have, we have three facilitators, uh, myself and Siobhan, and then we bring a, uh, a licensed, um, couples therapist named Emily. Uh, and she's fantastic. Great. Um, and, uh, and then we cap the participants at uh, 12. 12. Okay. And when you do the individual ones, cause I know Siobhan talked to us about right. that. I can't remember. Is I'm old. Is that capped at twelve? Yes. Okay. All right. Have y'all done another one of those, or do you have one of those lined up? Yeah, we have got uh, one coming up in September. I believe it's the twenty fifth of September. Okay. Um, we're going out, and that one's that one's open to anyone who wants to attend. Um, it's eight days in Panama. The cost is, I think, it's like something like twenty three hundred dollars. It's pretty, you know, approachable. I think price point. Um, one of the reasons we actually do it in Panama, we were looking to, to do a retreat here in Colorado, mm-hmm. and um, it was going to cost about the same price to do to do three days in Colorado as it does to do eight days in Panama. So, Jeez. wow, that's I guess airfare. It's, I guess and it's everything? worth, yeah, airfare included. So, I, I guess it's I guess it's worth the six hour flight, um, and uh, and and really the 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 learning environment down there is is so valuable that I think it's really worth going down. Hmm. Yeah, I just spent more than six hours going to D.C. I I can definitely justify six hours to go to Panama. I really can't justify 45 minutes to get to D.C., but, you know, you do what you got to do. Um, and, well, I look forward to seeing you in September, then. <laughs> don't tip me. Um, and really, the, the program itself, this is just for first responders or military no, officers? No, it's. No, um, the open, so we, we do, we do ones that are, they're population specific. Like we're talking to Seattle PD. Okay. And so that would be like all Seattle PD, PD police officers, right? That, 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 that retreat wouldn't go wide. Like people wouldn't even really know about it. Just just Seattle. Um, and then, and then we do ones that are open to, to all, all of everybody who uh, thinks that they can benefit from these modalities. And so where we're going with that is that um, because uh, Siobhan and I are, are former police officers, I'm a military veteran, uh, because we've, we've experienced these high stress work environments, we feel like we've developed skills that will work for anybody that's mm-hmm. experiencing stress or trauma in their day to day. Good. So what's your background? Yeah, so I uh, joined the Marine Corps immediately after 9-11. I knew uh, I liked uh, you. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Marine mom. My marshal also is a Marine. You're a Marine mom. Your marshal's a Marine. How old is he? He is 32, so he's out. He's done his time. Okay. He's out. Okay, so I'm 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 38, so he probably was, was getting in a couple years after I got out. Yes. Yeah, Okay. Uh, well, thank you for, uh, for, you know, being a mother of a Marine. I know that that's, uh, can be a difficult, uh, decision <laughs> for, for a parent to witness their child make. Well, I have to tell you a funny story. I've probably told on here a hundred times. He was deployed to the desert and I was in an airport traveling, teaching, and I had an army colonel sitting at the gate with me and we were just chit chatting and 
I looked at him and I said, you know, sir, I said, y'all are not using your most valuable resource. And he kind of looked at me funny and I said, you need to deploy the Marine mom with the Marine because you let somebody come near my child and they got something wrapped around their head. I'm taking out civilizations and I'm not bound by your Geneva Convention or your rules of engagement. <laughs> he was yeah, like, you're going to probably. <laughs> We're blowing things up. And he just started laughing and he said, you know, Susan, he goes, you may be onto something there. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I think we should call it like the Mother Lion Brigade or something. Oh, I'm all for that. Absolutely. <laughs> but thank you or, for your maybe, service. Maybe, maybe the Mama Bear Battalion. <laughs> I, I think it could, you know, and, and my son did tell me a couple of times, he said, you know, Mom, he said, I'm on post. I'm looking out over the desert. And he said, I swear a few times I saw you riding up on a camel with my AR-15. <laughs> I said, don't think I didn't consider it. <laughs> so anyway, That's back to tough. your That's background. <laughs> okay. All right. If you insist. Um, I, uh, I, so I worked as an explosive detection dog handler, which was uh, uh, super cool uh, yeah. because, you know, explosives, I feel like damage people indiscriminately. Yes. Um, and so if I was able to take a bomb out of the equation, that was just, you know, altruistically good. I didn't really have to think about the political implications of my being there. I was sure. taking bombs out of play. So sure. that was nice. Um, I did, uh, I, I did encounter the, uh, the working end of a couple of those bombs. And um, <laughs> as a result, I received some, uh... <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I received a couple uh, traumatic brain injuries and some shrapnel and burns from that experience, which was a blast. <laughs> oh, and, uh, <laughs> God, we're all a bunch of sick people sitting here laughing at this. Uh, anyway. Guys, we're having too much fun right now. <laughs> so, uh, so after the military, I, I worked for the National Nuclear Security Administration for a little bit, and then I became a uh, police officer. And then uh, my police uh, uh, experience uh, came to a very... Uh, short or uh, quick conclusion when my uh, training officer whom I started a relationship with in, in, in violation of department policy um, she she shot herself uh, as a result of, of the internal affairs investigation into our relationship wow, wow. so that that uh, that ended that and then um, fast forward uh, you know about 10 years and I was uh, working as a security consultant and I had a business partner who was another marine. And uh, he also, uh, for, you know, obviously unrelated reasons, he shot himself. Um, and uh, I was talking to a, uh, a counselor one time and uh, the, that person like pointed out to me, they're like, has, has it occurred to you, you've known a lot of people who have killed themselves? And it, and it really hadn't <laughs> until. Well, thanks for pointing that yeah. out. <laughs> until, wow. Yeah, until you pointed out. And I'm like, well, no, but yeah, now, now that you mention it, I guess so. And um, I don't know, is it me? Am I the common denominator? <laughs> well, not. So um, anyway, so I, I kind of, I, I took that feedback and that experience um, from uh, Al uh, choosing to die. And, um, and I, I started working in suicide prevention, um, specifically working with uh, veterans struggling to adjust and struggling with mm. suicidal ideation. Um, I intervened in approximately 300 um, suicides in, uh, in three years doing that. And then um, Siobhan um, put this opportunity in front of me to uh, start this company with her. And uh, I, uh, 
I, I honestly, I couldn't be more grateful. Um, as, as I, as I create space between myself and working in suicide, uh, I'm, I'm discovering how stressful that was and how much of an impact that had on me. Mm, sure. So I'm really, I'm really, really looking forward and, and embracing this opportunity to have a less stressful life, but still affect change in people's lives. Mm-hmm. So I'm going a little more upstream from the crisis Hallelujah. and um, I'm happy to happy to be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, that's another frustration we have because there's so many, there's trainings out there for first responders and they're calling it suicide prevention when in reality it's intervention. And, mm-hmm. and I call myself a suicide preventionist, meaning I want to keep people from even becoming suicidal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's a big misnomer when they're saying suicide prevention, but really what they're talking about is intervention once the person has become suicidal. And mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. to me, you're, you're a little bit late to the game at that point. Right, even, that's not preventative at all, is it? No, right. and even, you know, and for cops no. especially, um, and probably some of the firefighters I've dealt with too, but, you know, just the fact that they even got to a place where they were considering suicide is a really hard thing to overcome. And we had one of ours that he had been on a suicide call and it was an older man in the desert. And the, the officer started thinking, what would it take to get to that place? And he freaked himself out and he went to a counselor who supposedly worked with law enforcement. And her comment to him was that he was in phase one of three of killing himself. Now, I don't know what these three phases are because I was never taught that, (laughs) never heard that in 30 years. But that in itself threw him into anxiety that only, Mm -hmm. you know. Just made things worse. Yeah, you become anxious about being anxious. God, when am I going to be at stage two? Right. And and what does that look like? Right. And Maybe I'm already there. You know, what the heck? Because to me, anybody in this industry who's been there for very long, a suicidal thought is a normal thought. It's what you do with it. Because you're good mm. people who have gone into this to make a difference. And, you know, it's people find out pretty quickly you don't feel like you're making a difference, even mm-hmm. though you are. And that creates issues. And we're not teaching them in academies enough what that looks like and how to deal with it. And it's really frustrating to me to see these academies teaching stress management from a 1999-2000 book that really Mm -hmm. was never stress management in the first place. And then they're wondering why everybody's getting to this place. Right. And I had to laugh because one of the academies out here, their stress management class, when I don't teach it, one of the their four tools they or tips they give them to reduce stress, and one of them is say no, (laughs) learn to say no. And I was having dinner last night with some sergeants and lieutenants. And I said, so don't be shocked when your new recruits come out and you tell them to do something. They go, no, no. I don't think so. And, and the, I'm trying to reduce uh, my stress level. <laughs> and, the yeah. other, and the other thing that blew my mind was learn to delegate. These are things you teach people maybe in other professions, but that ain't going to work too well for an OIT in, in, as a police officer, yeah. you know, Delegate, yeah, okay, the Sarge gave me this. I'm going to give it to somebody else. <laughs> uh, let me know yeah. how that works out. Especially when you're at the bottom of the rung. <laughs> right. And that's yeah. their stress management tips. 
um, there was a psychologist out here one time. I worked with all the uh, major airlines, federal flight deck officers after 9-11, and there was a psychologist out here in the Phoenix area that taught the airline pilots who carry guns to suck on lifesavers because it'll take them back to their baby days when they were less stressed. So I literally, Marshall, used to get on the flight deck at U.S. Air, and I'm like, if you boys are sucking on lifesavers up here, I'm out. (laughs) And I thought, that's that's unusual. (laughs) That sounds like a solution that was come up because you couldn't come up with anything better. I think think you just hit the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you start looking at this stuff, you go, you don't ask, why are police officers stressed? You ask, why the hell are they not if that's what they're teaching? Exactly. Yeah, I, I, see, I see suicides as, as a symptom of a larger systemic issue. And I feel like so often organizations, departments, they want to make it about what's going on within that individual. Mm-hmm. And they're not looking at what's going on within the entire organization that contributed to that individual mm-hmm. suicide. Sure. You know, we hear a lot from administrations. It, you keep personal and professional separate till they want to use something you did on your personal time right. to terminate you. Yeah. But if it happens right. on your personal time and it's something that doesn't really impact the job, that was on the person. We have nothing to do with that. No, we, we have no control over that. You, you can't separate. it. It's it's a lifestyle. No question. Yeah. 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. The expectations we put on human beings to compartmentalize their lives and behave like personal computers is, is, is uh, well, it's not realistic and, and obviously it's not working. Well, and you know, and morale is low enough in the industry, and then we're all wondering why nobody wants to do this job. Look at the job description. Yeah, we have a <laughs> we have an interesting one we show in our training of the job description that really every cop in the room you can almost see them going, "What the hell was I thinking?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, you give up your friends, you give up your holidays, you you, you your family hates you. Eating schedules all off. Yeah. Uh, you know, work I long hours. Don't get to sleep and do it for virtually no money in comparison to the private sector. Yeah, that's a good decision. Like I said, y'all are crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's not just law enforcement either. I think, I think nursing, they're dealing with oh, yeah. a lot of the same issues. Yeah. Sure. Um, coroner's offices, I'm talking to coroners and medical examiners, they're yes. really struggling. Um, district attorneys. Yes. You know, attorneys mm-hmm. don't get talked a lot about, right. but, uh, but they're encountering a lot of stress. Oh, they get I feel talked like, about. You know, whenever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Especially some Fair of them deserve to get Fair talked enough. about right now. <laughs> Trying to keep it positive. <laughs> leave okay, it, sorry about that. Leave it to us. We're going to throw the negative in there. Yeah, just don't tell us you're going to talk to the L.A. County District Attorney. <laughs> he needs to go. He used to be a chief out here, yeah. and he needs to go. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Uh, well, how about how about dispatchers then? There, there, there's oh, yeah. another group that, yeah. that doesn't get talked about enough. Sure. I think I think when you have a traumatic incident, anyone who touches that incident, mm-hmm. you know, um, is either receiving direct or vicarious trauma through that exactly. that that experience. And 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 so you know, I feel like I'm not an attorney, but I'll tell you, as a, as a police officer, mm-hmm. it 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 did bother me to put people in jail. Sure. You know, like, 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 like the, the knowledge of, of, of what that person was going to be experiencing as a result of my interacting with them, right. that bothered me. And I've got to assume that at least some DAs are, are experiencing similar levels of guilt and sure. impact. 
And, you know, it's funny. I was a litigation paralegal 15 years before I started this company. And I remember early on in the startup of Under the Shield, it occurred to me, too, look at juries, especially on capital murder Mm. cases. Mm. And literally, we have them exposed to all this horrible stuff. They come up with their verdict. Then then it goes to whether or not they're going to execute the right. person. And then we just send them home. Yeah. Yeah. Never to be heard from. Not, and, and we're talking about the, the you know, the Joe Smith of the walking down the street. Right. People that have absolutely zero to do with this industry, because if they have anything to do with the industry, we they, they get cut. Right. And there's got to be a, a lot of people walking around wounded. From the trial, sex crimes of children and all that stuff. And literally, we put them in these positions and we just send them home. Yeah. And it's got to be something yeah. really heavy to say, yes, I think that person should be killed. Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, pictures yeah. they've been right. exposed to, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And to my knowledge, there's still not anything being done. But I can't take that on right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, my plate's full. pretty full. <laughs> but it's certainly something for somebody to be considering. But you're right. And I've taught district attorneys. You know, at Under the Shield, when we talk about law enforcement, we cover everything from dispatch all the way through federal probation and parole. Um, we don't keep it just to sworn. And like out here, I don't know about in other states, it didn't used to be in Alabama, but our crime scene techs are civilians. Mm-hmm. That's and, how most of that is here, too. And then I was shocked to learn just the other day that the records clerks, you know, I thought they were just responsible for maintaining and filing. <laughs> I didn't know that they redact things, so they're having to listen Oh yeah, and see horrible stuff. And from, from, you know, body-worn cameras to surveillance tapes, they're listening and redacting all that stuff. I had no idea. Yeah. See, I'm, see, old dogs can be taught new tricks because <laughs> I would never have thought about having the records clerk involved in stuff because yeah. I didn't know what they did. But it, it's, like I said, so that's another population y'all probably ought to be looking at also. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, I really like your point about juries. That's huge. I mean, there should, there should be a debriefing process right. for a, a, a tough trial. That, that I haven't heard of existing. And I, I think yeah. about those those people who are sitting on juries that are politically um, on TV, you know, and everyone's aware of like, like imagine being in the Rittenhouse jury yes. or, or, you know, or, or the Zimmerman jury yeah. or any of them, you know, like, they, like these are huge. The whole country's looking at, at your decision. Sure. You know, what, what a stressor. Yeah. And you can't win. Right. You're, you're going to tick somebody yeah. off on both exactly. sides. And it's yeah, like, absolutely. I said, yeah. So, you know, I don't know if that's something y'all, y'all want to take on out there, but <laughs> <laughs> here, 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 here's something else you need to do. <laughs> you yeah. and Siobhan can do. Yeah. I'm out. No worries. We'll, we'll, we'll run with it. Okay. <laughs> Just give me a little bit of credit, at least for, for planting the seed in your head. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll bring you out to Panama and give you a plaque. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> So you're speaking today at a conference there in Colorado. How long are they giving yeah, actually, you? Actually, Siobhan is speaking. I'm 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 up here uh, helping her out with a presentation, supporting her. So she's actually doing the speaking. You're the eye candy. Is that what you're telling me? I, <laughs> I'm the guy in the 
in the audience and just making sure everything goes smoothly for her. I, I don't think anyone has ever accused me of being eye candy before. <laughs> Every Marine I know is eye candy. Come on now. Don't, yeah, don't you, say that. When they're in their uniform. <laughs> Put those dress blues on, honey. Nothing else matters. Uh, you're, you're biased because you're a mom. That's right. I am a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. But, uh, so what else do y'all have coming up on the calendar? Do you have many trainings coming up around the country of people are listening and can get to hear you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, we're going to be doing a training in um, South Carolina. I should probably have all these dates like listed out and ready for you. But, <laughs> now, um, now that's my I don't. That's my old stomping ground. Where are you going to be in South Carolina? I think we're going to be in um, in Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina. Great city. Have you ever been? Uh, and then, uh, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. Great. I've been to North Carolina. I've never been to South Carolina. Charleston is a, I always laugh and say, wait, wait, Savannah's a clean New Orleans and Charleston <laughs> is a clean Savannah. Now you said you've been to North Carolina. Let me oh, guess. Oh, please, Lejeune. <laughs> the garden spot of Lejeune. Actually, no. Oh, no, really? It was, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I never saw the East Coast with the Marine Corps. Uh, I was there uh, doing a little bit of work with Blackwater and Mayock. Uh, so you're a Hollywood Marine is what you're telling yeah. me. I am a Hollywood Marine. I went through San Diego. We, we had the hills and not the bugs. Yeah, yeah, what was it? A month ago, I was gone. Susan says I was gone for a month. He too, was. But he was. We drove, my family and I drove back to uh, North Carolina, went to Camp Lejeune. My son-in-law mm -hmm. retired from the Marine Corps. So <laughs> what a place to retire from. <laughs> I warned him. I tried to, I tried to tell him Lejeune is, is just not the vacation spot um, for anybody, much less the Marines. But, um, but yeah, you'll love Charleston. It is a very historical city. It is a really cool place. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I love seeing new places and I've heard of Charleston. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Um, on July 13th, there's a super interesting class that we're doing um, that I'd love to tell you about. Um, so we are putting on a um, cultural competency and firearms familiarization course. Interesting. For hmm. clinicians who serve veterans. Good and the reason for, for that is we were talking to, uh, we developed this program for the VA and um, in, in talking to veterans about what is the barrier that you feel in, in communicating with, with your mental health professionals, overwhelmingly, it was, I'm worried they're going to take my guns away. Yep. Mm -hmm. so, then, so then we go to the doctors at the VA level, right? And we say, hey, your veterans are worried you're going to take your, gun, your guns away, their guns away. And the, and the doctors were like, yeah, yeah, we, we might. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. This is what we need to talk about. <laughs> so we, we developed this firearms familiarization course for VA clinicians, and uh, they ordered up five of them, um, five classes. Uh, they went really well. And um, I was really impressed with the VA, you know, stepping up and getting yeah. outside the box and, you know, trying to do the right thing. And so now we're making this class available to anybody. Nice. Um, and we're going to do, it's, it's four hours long. We do uh, three hours on, uh, well, we do two hours on cultural competency and uh, what it means to be a veteran, why, why firearms are important to veterans and it's like a part of their identity and their safety. Yep. I talk about how, you know, people, people are like, well, you're never going to need a gun, you know, because, you know, whatever bad things ever happen. And, and I like to point out that like for, for veterans, worst case scenarios are totally on the table because they have happened. 
you know, like I, I like to talk about people, people say, you know, well, you know, worst case scenario, meteorite falls out of the sky, right? They kind of tell that joke. Well, I was deployed to Ramadi, Iraq, and we got mortared like every day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, meteorites falling out of the sky, (laughs) that sounds like a real possibility. Sure. Sure. So we talk about veteran culture and then we, we, we uh, physically hand around a bunch of firearms. Everyone gets to manipulate them and feel them and, and understand their nomenclature. And, um, and then we take them downstairs uh, to the shooting range and we shoot. And they get to shoot the same weapon systems that their veterans used in combat. Nice. And uh, the idea here is to, is to break down the barrier, uh, break down some fear. It's like I said at the beginning of the interview, you know, anytime you bring context and information mm-hmm. to the table, I feel like people can make more well-informed decisions. Yeah. Absolutely. So we want, these, we want these clinicians to understand more, mm-hmm. right? And then we want to be able to tell the veterans, hey, look, this clinician has been through this class. This is a person that you can feel safer communicating with. Right. That sounds like a great program. Well, and as part of what of Under the Shield has now been trying to promote around the country probably the last five years, and it's that three-tiered approach, peer support, stress coaches, and licensed mental health. And one of our big things is is the licensed mental health needs to be out doing ride-alongs. Um, we would love to train them on exactly what you're talking about. Um, when I started Under the Shield, I did a full SWAT school. Uh, I was fortunate enough that the PD said, sure, go ahead, suit her up, let her run, gun, climb, do everything y'all are doing. That was 30 years ago. I will not do that again today. <laughs> um, I did firearms training. I did hostage negotiation training, all that stuff. And it wasn't because I wanted to be something other than the wife of law enforcement. I wanted to actually get in to that culture and let them mm-hmm. get to know me, me get to know them. Because I said, I don't think anybody, it, it amazes me at how out here and in other places, they'll have psychologists and counselors who are dealing with officers in shootings. And and that counselor or mental health person has never fired a firearm. They can't even right. begin to understand the enormity of the responsibility right. of wearing it every day, much less pulling it and then, and the, then pulling yeah, the trigger. Exactly. And one of the things that I want to do with clinicians with regards to firearms, I want them shooting fruit, not a hole in a paper target. I'm big on this about kids. When you teach your children to shoot, don't let them put a hole in a piece of paper. That doesn't tell a kid what that round will do. Mm-hmm. Our kids, we raised them shooting oranges and cantaloupes and, and fruit that went blah, because that shows you the enormity of what the round can do. Mm-hmm. And I think clinicians need the same thing because I think they can simplify it in their brain that it's, you know, how could you murder someone and put a hole in them? I don't think they understand the connection there. And so that's one of the things we really are pushing departments to require their EAP counselors and police psychologists get out there and do the training. Right. Learn what it's like to do the job. Do the ride-alongs. See what it's like to go from total boredom right. to 100% adrenaline rush. Yeah. And then come back down off of it because it turns out to be nothing. And <laughs> and and then get yourself settled in for the next call. Um, so I'm really happy to hear y'all are doing yeah. that with the, with the veterans, the clinicians working with veterans, because we really want to do this with our law enforcement, mental health clinicians also. 
we're going to develop one for law enforcement. And um, I love the idea about the fruit, by the way. I'm totally going to steal that. Um, and then, uh, Glad this is on one a of podcast. Things that, <laughs> one, uh, one of the things we want to do with the, uh, when we do the, the law enforcement cultural competency piece is um, I'm going to take them onto a, uh, a, a, a simulation yep. range where uh, they get to make shoot, no shoot. Uh, decisions. They'll be shooting birds, cats, dogs, oh, yeah. trees, cars, <laughs> everything. And everything are, that pops out at them. Are you familiar yep. with the Vertra system? No. Vertra is here out of Tempe. I think they're still in Tempe yeah. or Mesa. Mesa, um, I think now. But they have the most incredible one. I've put a number of people, including my Marine, on it. And it is real life based. Um, it's a uh, it can be 365. They can actually yeah. put a, a door to be breached, but you're up on a platform. And if there's a helicopter, if you're outside scenario, you, you feel the vibration as if the helicopter's coming over or a truck coming by and you put a little box on you in <laughs> <laughs> that little box. If you get shot, light your ass up. <laughs> and when it's really, yes. Yeah. And when it's 360, I, I put a good friend on it who had been in some major shootings. And uh, anyway, he forgot it was 360. And so somebody on the screen behind him shot him. And man, he screamed like a girl and took that <laughs> box and threw it across the room. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I would just wish I'd videoed. Um, but it is, it is impressive. And that's the kind of thing, or either put him through simunition training, mm -hmm. light him up with some simunition, mm -hmm. adrenaline will start pumping. Like like mm -hmm. Sheriff Joe did out here with a who was that guy? He wasn't a reporter, but he was an activist that yeah. said cops were shooting too many people right. and he's actually a preacher out here. That's right. And boy, he was yeah, his, his whole attitude changed, yeah. Completely. And you're absolutely right. They that's what needs to happen. They need to get the real life feel, but you gotta get that adrenaline pumping. Mm-hmm. But you ought to look at that Vertra system because, um, yeah, come down to Phoenix and we'll get you on it. And All it, right. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. we've act I've actually had people run into the screen <laughs> with the gun because they're so caught up in the in the scenario. Yeah. And, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I've got, I've got a trip to Phoenix coming up. So uh, when I'm down there, I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you know. Yeah. Give us a heads up and we'll get that scheduled. And uh but yeah, you know, it sounds like y'all are running real parallel with Under the Shield, and hopefully we can team up on something one day. Yeah, I think it would be great to collaborate with you and put on like an event. Yes. Maybe yeah. an awareness thing, you know, get a bunch of people out. I'd love to come down to Phoenix and 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 meet your community down there. Absolutely. We we would love to love to have you down and we're gonna be doing a good bit of training over the next year. Tom and I have uh, recently gotten a contract with uh, 71 of the 92 cities and towns for police and fire and 13 of the 15 counties. Uh, ultimately, we'll wind up with really 14 of the 15 counties right. since we already have MCSO. And um, we're going to be doing uh, trainings all around the state on that. And then we're pretty connected with Border Patrol, um, working with them and doing a lot of training for them. And so we'd love to have you come down even and sit in on a, on a class. And uh, it's a little bit different what we teach is what we're told everywhere we go. And, um, but yeah, anytime you get down this direction, give us a heads up and 
will will get you around the valley, especially, and introduce you Great. to some yeah, people. Yeah, that'd be fabulous. Thank you. Well, Marshall, we can't thank you enough for taking time out, especially yeah. since you're sitting there uh, at a conference about to to go on with Siobhan and be her her. Uh, what are we going to call him? Her boy toy or her, <laughs> or, or, or her handyman? I don't know, something. Whatever it is, it's what I need to call Tom, too. <laughs> well, then I'm not opening my mouth on what to call him. <laughs> Chicken. <laughs> but make, make sure you give Siobhan our best. And, yes. and also all the guys up there in Colorado at the FOP State Conference. Yeah, it does seem, seem kind of rough. You're in Vail, Colorado, With where snow. it's snowing mm -hmm. right now, and mm -hmm. we're going to be like 100 degrees today. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> That's all right. We'll talk to him in the winter <laughs> when he's up to his yeah. ass in snow. Yeah. And, and, and it's yeah. 60 well, degrees. I'll be, I'll be in Panama. <laughs> <laughs> we may be in Panama with you, you so don't talk too fast. Good idea. <laughs> But if we can ever do anything for, for you guys, and like I said, I'd really love to to see a collaborative effort yeah, there be, of doing fun. something together. Because uh, this stuff, yeah. we've got to start getting this stuff out. Uh, too many people are hurting unnecessarily. And it, we we know we have some of the cures. We don't have the, the end-all, be-all for everybody. Yeah. But, you know, we sure want to give it a shot. And the more we can find like-minded people who... Also realize what we're doing isn't working and we need to be doing something different. Not about eliminating anybody, but bringing new things to the table right. to give more options. Uh, that's when we're going to start to make a difference. Absolutely. And it's about creating that ripple effect, right? Like yes. I can't get in front of every cop in America and I'm not even going to try to. It sounds stressful. Right. right. Um, but the, the people I do get in front of, right, I'm going to do everything I can to reach them and to, to educate them and, and, and to, to show them my conclusions and hope. Hopefully they draw the same conclusions from the data that I provide them right. sure. and um, and then they can go forward and affect change in their circle. And that's, that's really yeah. what we're trying to do is, exactly. is, 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 is change the community. And, and, and it's, it's going to take all of us, you sure. know, yep. pitching in to make that happen. Right. And, and, you know, and that's like our stress coaches to be a stress coach with us. You have to have done it, been married to it, raised by it or given birth to it. And it's mm -hmm. funny when I talk to people about being a stress coach and they're like, Susan, I'm not, I'm not well myself. And I go, none of us are. That's right. But there's mm -hmm. healing in helping. And when you can help your own population, yep. then you can take your negative experiences and that becomes the positive. And we operate off of the Mas the new Maslow's hierarchy of needs that now has a level above self-actualization. And it's called transcendence. And it's basically where you get at least to a better place, not perfect because there's no such thing and you reach down and help someone else that's what our whole concept in under the shield is based on and it's not just tom and i seeing everybody it's training other people who've been through difficult situations yeah. to turn around and help others and again the he the the healing and helping is huge i've had i've learned that firsthand from chris ferrara's death and that he was like my other child and officers were hesitant to come to me because I was so close. I'm like, isolating me was the worst <laughs> thing they could do. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't about you got to be perfect and life's great and all that stuff. We want the people that have been through tough stuff, even if it's still affecting them. Right. 
And uh, so we'd love to have you consider becoming a, a stress coach. Oh, I love that idea. And we do, it's a 40-hour certification that we do here. Um, and for those listening, our next one is going to be the week of June 20th here in Chandler, Arizona. We're actually not charging for the certification because we need the help around the country. Right. We had a trooper out of uh, Massachusetts in the mm -hmm. last class and a cop out of New Jersey and a lawyer out of Alabama, uh, Alabama <laughs> and uh, who's part of a veterans program. He's doing a lot with veterans court down there. So he became one of our stress coaches and now on the board. And uh, so we've had them from all over. We have two up in Canada currently. We need to get some more up there. And so we would love to, to uh, have you come on board and, our only requirement is you can't be licensed as a social worker or a mental health person because we have to have people who are not mandated reporters. That's what separates us. <laughs> and uh, so that's an important part of it. Yeah. And so, yep. yeah, so we'd love to have you get involved. And um, again, anything we can do to help y'all, we would love to, to be involved. Well, I really appreciate that. I really like what you're doing down there. So you said June 20th. How long is this uh, course? It's a week, Monday through Friday. Uh, okay. Usually runs eight till three or four in the afternoons. On Friday, you're usually done right after lunch. But uh, it's a 40-hour certification, and you actually get to put initials behind your name. <laughs> Tom was all excited. He finally got some initials besides retired behind his name. <laughs> I like that R-E-T period. <laughs> you worked hard for that, didn't I did. you? did. <laughs> and now, he, yeah, now he, he gets to put he's a board certified 20, stress coach. 27 damn years. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows. <laughs> um, I'm not jaded at all. No, not a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, we, I, I, happen, I happen to have that week available. Oh. So so awesome. you can pretty you can pretty well count on me showing up. Terrific. Um, matter of fact, yeah. when we get off this, I'll email you the flyer on it. And great. and that'll be great. Maybe we can get him in a ride along over in Phoenix somewhere one there you night. Go. Maryville. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nowhere else. <laughs> um, but good. Well, we'll count on seeing you then in June. And again, great. give Shabon and everybody our best. Yes. And as we wrap things up here, you know, it's nice to be back in this chair on the mic. I may take another vacation, though. I kind of like watching Tom squirm on how, what he has to do. And I go, not my problem. I won't be there. Yeah. Since you I, did it to me for four and, Fridays. <laughs> and I did say, don't answer your phone while you're in D.C. But I which did. Which she still does. <laughs> she even answered my phone call, which was... I yeah. thought about not doing it. But I thought, no, I better do it. He may be screwing something up. But for those of you listening, uh, again, we are here for you 24-7. Our toll-free number that we don't even have your phone number if you call us is 855-889-2348. Uh, again, if you hit extension 1, the stress coach, whether it's me, Tom, or one of our other stress coaches, they will only get the number that you've dialed. We will not have your number. If you get disconnected, please call us back. Uh, but we keep everything as anonymous as possible. We do not ask you your name. We do not ask you where you're located. Uh, unless you ask to see a stress coach, then we need to know what state you're in to see if we can get you matched up with somebody. Um, or you can call or text me on my cell. It's 334-324-3570. And my cell phone number is 480-861-657. And again, we thank you all for what you do out there and the families, the sacrifices that are made. We understand and 
We love and appreciate you. And again, Marshall, thank you for your service, both in the military and in law enforcement. And what you're doing now. Yes, and absolutely what you and Siobhan are doing. Although I don't feel real bad for you. Your job takes you to Panama. <laughs> Ours takes us to some other places that we probably shouldn't talk about. Out Central. Yeah, and that uh, <laughs> can be quite expensive. <laughs> uh, but we are honored that you listen to us. And we love you, and God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. Please call us if we can do anything. And that goes for families, too. Stay tuned, and we will see you next week.